Mini episode 1506 of the FDH Lounge is brought to you by Sportsology, delivering unconventional columns and webcasts about sports, TV, music, movies, and more. Follow them on the web at sportsology.com. The FDH Lounge. You want to schedule your life around it. A long time ago, on a gloomy, wet Cleveland spring night, two men stand alone amidst the late night drizzle. Their voices echo across the vacant station parking lot as they debate the merits of the great American radio show that have been missing for far too long. On that night, an idea was born. That idea became the FDH Lounge. Welcome to the FDH Lounge. Hello, everyone. Welcome to FDH Lounge mini episode 1506. This is FDH Managing Partner Rick Morris here with you today. And uh, we have back with us here today one of our favorite folks to bring in and talk about the great game of football. He is a college football writer as well as a USFL and XFL writer for our Sports Central. Our good friend, Fran Stuckberry, and a part of our FDH Lounge family of dignitaries here. And a pleasure to get him in to talk about the 2022 college football season. Looking ahead here, uh, a lot of continuity, it seems like, as far as the uh, the top programs and uh, what they're projected to do, but some interesting wrinkles, and we're going to try and get into as many of them as we can here today. So let me bring him in, our good friend, Fran Stuckberry. Fran, thanks for making time for us today. Appreciate it. It's the holiday tradition for us. It kind of is. Yeah, football is about to start. It is the new year uh, coming up soon for uh, all those who love the gridiron and all those who love uh, following this at, at all different levels, as I know you do. I know you watch football at all levels professionally and at all levels collegiately here. We'll be focusing, of course, on the major conferences today as we go along. but uh, And we'll be tackling subsequently here, you and I, uh, shortly thereafter here in the lounge, uh, look at the overall landscape and how it's changed over the summer, both in terms of the realignment that's happening, the realignment that's potentially pending, and the TV contracts. Uh, we'll be getting to that in a subsequent segment here. But uh, as far as right now, any kind of big picture thoughts here as we kind of head into the season and how the off season has, has kind of impacted what to look forward to in 2022? Oh, NIL has had a big impact, the transfer portal, and like what? I mean, players moving all over the place. But Rick, basically, uh, it seems like a three-team race so far. You know, as far as uh, you know, the preseason, you know, rankings are concerned where you're going to have Ohio State, Georgia, and Alabama. We'll, we'll, we'll see if that changes anytime soon, but that's what it seems like a three-team race right now. It absolutely looks that way, and uh, I can say from having worked on Fantasy Football Draftology 2002, available on the main page of FantasyDraftHelp.com. Go check it out. Free guide for the season. But uh, beyond fantasy football, uh, so with some pro and college content in there as well, I always do my standings. Projections and as I was telling you off here, Fran, that's a key thing of what I look at every year. Is I average together what the polls say, and Alabama was the consensus number one, and then from there, Ohio State was in number two in more of the polls than Georgia, but uh, two and three right there, and then there was a big drop down as far as the next teams in there. There was a second tier that kind of formed behind them. So the projection is we are looking at those three teams being in the playoffs this year. That's what most people would think. And then that fourth team uh, could come from a very interesting and diffuse mix. I think you and I are probably picking uh, different teams as far as who the fourth one in the mix might be. But uh, it's kind of hard to believe that it could be both Ohio State and Michigan. But theoretically, that could be the case. 
Texas A&M is super highly regarded, but you're not going to get three SEC teams in there. Of course, Clemson, Notre Dame, those are the perennial teams around here in the mix. Utah, if they're lucky enough to come out of the Pac-12 undefeated, which nobody ever does because they cannibalize themselves. But Utah, potentially Oklahoma, it's a deep tier fighting for that fourth spot, potentially. Yeah, it's, it's kind of mixed bags, man. But the, I'll be honest with you, Rick, if the, if the ACC um, is as weak as I think it's going to be this season, if Clemson can get back to their old ways, I think they have the edge to be at 14. I mean, well, I mean it depends if, that, if their quarterback, um, I won't say his last name, but if he can bounce back and, and play better, um, they, can get, they can creep in as that fourth spot. Totally agree. They definitely can. And uh, in terms of the team's, projected to make the playoffs. We start with the two teams who were in the national championship game last year, Alabama and Georgia. They are decent favorites in their own respective divisions here, the SEC East and West. Uh, In the East, Georgia will have to fend off a Kentucky program that uh, has stuck around at a pretty high level the last couple of seasons here. They look to be perhaps the uh, the toughest competition there. Uh, Tennessee, off to a fairly decent start uh, under the new regime there. Uh, I'm always hopeful as a Vols fan that that'll be the case, that they'll, they'll keep improving. Billy Napier of Florida, it's been an interesting uh, start to his tenure. There are some ups and downs in the offseason. So the Eastern Division, Georgia stands above everybody else, but there are some teams that are going to be hoping for the upset when they go to play them in the West. Alabama, Texas A&M, we're projecting that as one of the games of the year when they play uh, each other. That one is going to be uh, on uh, October 8th, A&M at Alabama. That will be definitely one of the games of the year. Uh, behind them, you've got uh, Arkansas, Mississippi, uh, LSU. It, it kind of falls off kind of behind them. Auburn not really projected to be as big of a part of the mix this year. But uh, again, you have the two giants in the SEC, Fran, and like I said, uh, A&M probably the closest to them in terms of talent level with Jimbo Fisher there, what the projections are going to be as far as them taking another step forward. So in some ways it looks like just a typical year in the SEC, but there is the potential in both divisions maybe for some curveballs here and there. Oh, they, they could be some curveballs. And, 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 and Craig McElroy, yes, man, well, you would say you would type of Tennessee. So we'll see. Come on, we got to be able to be here. But um, I, think, I think Tennessee has a chance to – yeah, very possible. And uh, again, any kind of sustained kind of improvement and growth is going to be very, very welcomed down at Rocky Top right now because it's been one step forward, two steps back for the last 10 years, maybe longer, really, probably even pre-Lane Kiffin. Uh, things have been getting kind of rough there. So uh, definitely Tennessee would uh, take that. You've got a projection by just about everybody as we're saying that the SEC championship game will be a rematch of the national championship game Alabama and Georgia and that was one where again going into the national championship game it was one of those things and I was a little more down on Georgia going into last year uh, than some people were because there were some people that were thinking it was the year Kirby Smart had reached the point of guilty until proven innocent, that it looked to me like it was a better version of the Mark Rick program, but taking that final step forward. And then they did so. They did so definitively in the national championship game, solidly uh, three years after uh, losing the previous national championship game, they were able to break through. 
uh, again, may get a rematch in the SEC championship game. I think it's very likely and potentially another rematch in the playoffs. Yeah, it definitely wouldn't surprise me. Until the expanded playoff field, we might be seeing two SEC teams, you know, um, for a long, long time. Very possibly so, yes. And uh, if there is another conference where that can be said, it would definitely be the Big Ten. Uh, but it is the Eastern Division in the Big Ten that is very tilted. Ohio State back in their usual role as favorites, but Michigan punching through. Uh, Getting the win last year, you want to talk about, again, guilty until proven innocent. Jim Harbaugh finally getting the job done. Michigan's first win over a non-interim Ohio State coach since 2003. You go back to 2011, of course, the win that Michigan had that year was over interim coach Luke Fickle. Michigan will be going for their first win in Columbus in 22 years this November. But before that, as I said to you off-air, I will be there for what we're projecting as the FDH game of the year in the regular season, Saturday of uh, Labor Day weekend against Notre Dame. That one is going to be huge in prime time in Columbus. Uh, so, again, Ohio State, Michigan, you've got Michigan State, Penn State, each of them trying to kind of jump up to that level. And, uh, again, neither has quite been able to do that. Michigan State had a pretty good season going last year till they met Ohio State and then it got disastrous in a hurry. Uh, But, uh, again, those teams all kind of jockeying in the East Division. In the West, again, it looks like just another typical kind of a year. You've got Wisconsin towards the top. They might be the favorite. They are in my book. But you've got Iowa and Minnesota not too far behind them. Uh, Purdue uh, trying to kind of consolidate and take another step forward, which they really haven't been able to do in the last year or so. And Nebraska, it's kind of a, a now or never kind of a season for Scott Frost in year five. So all across the, uh, the Big Ten, it's definitely a more interesting landscape than it was a year ago because Ohio State at least showed a vulnerability against Michigan that they hadn't shown in a long time. A lot of that had to do with the defense. Jim Knowles, the new defensive coordinator, and we'll see if that helps restore Ohio State to being a legitimate national championship contender this year. Well, I think Ohio State's going to you know, be the team out of the Big Ten. I think Michigan's going to take a step back after um... – that was season last year. Plus, this year the games at Ohio State. So, I mean, I mean let's see Jim Harbaugh. It's funny. I mean, Jim Harbaugh was on the hot seat for years and years and years. He finally breaks that crack. The thing is, I mean, if you want to destroy that crack, what a game at Ohio State, Rick. What a game at Ohio State. Well, yeah. And, that, and, and that's what it's going to take. I mean, he still has that uh, burden of proof. Again, not having won in Columbus in 22 years. But it's an interesting thing because – Ohio State, and again, as somebody who has uh, a, a deep and burning memory of the John Cooper years, it seems almost impossible to say this, but it's been the case that Ohio State, I'm not going to say was taking for granted beating Michigan all those years, but it was impossible for them to feel much in the way of fear and loathing towards Michigan, uh, like when they were regularly getting it handed to them. You now have a different dynamic this year, and in the word coming out of Columbus you know, and they've, they've got the score of last year's game and everything like that hung all around uh, the football training center. There's reminders everywhere you turn around. It's been a long, long time since Ohio State was as motivated by Michigan because Michigan didn't have it within them to motivate them. Now that it's happened and now that they have Ryan Day's attention and the attention of that entire program, it will be an interesting dynamic. It's a rivalry. Finally, it's a team that can play against um, 
on how seen it. In the Big Ten, you, you know, I mean, you have, you have, you know, Wisconsin with their Spanish mouth football. You have my favorite coach, Rose the boat out of Minnesota. And you have Jeff Brown who throws the football everywhere in Brazil with his offense. So, uh, Illinois, I mean, um, we'll see we'll see what happens with, 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 with them. I mean, um, but the Big Ten is always, I mean, it, it's kind of like te- so many teams are clustered, right? That's what it seems like. You have so many teams, you have the team at the top, and you have like five teams jam-packed in the middle. You do, really, and then uh, ultimately, and then you have a bottom tier as well, uh, which, uh, again, Rutgers is trying to been fight their way out of forever in some of these teams. So, yeah, the, the Big Ten, much like the SEC, a decent amount of continuity here. I mean, continuity does seem to be the watchword for a number of these conferences here. In the Big 12, you've got a lot of the usual suspects on top, notwithstanding a coaching change, Brent Venables now, in Norman, Oklahoma, still the favorite to a lot of people, including myself, uh, but not far behind them. Baylor, who has really established themselves in a mon- as a monster in this conference, Oklahoma State, uh, Texas. Uh, this is going to be a, kind of a make-or-break kind of a season for Sarkeesian to see if he can kind of bring them up to another level. And then you kind of get to the teams in, in the middle here who are all kind of struggling to various degrees contend with the top four, uh, both of the state schools, Kansas State and Iowa State, uh, West Virginia and TCU. So it's a conference that it seems like one through four, at least, is relatively top-heavy coming into this this season, and every one of the games between those four teams is going to carry a ton of weight for him. Texas is going to first-place vote on that coach's poll. Who did that? Brad Venables? Who gave Texas a first-place vote in the coach's poll? Yeah, that is, is, whoever that was should have their vote revoked. And if it was Venables trying to play some kind of psychological deal, and we don't know that it is, we're just speculating here, but whoever it is, like, again, these things are supposed to be, you know, I don't want to take myself too seriously and use the word sacred, but they're supposed to be a legitimate benchmark uh, for excellence and a projection of what is going to happen for this year. So whoever did that, whoever put them in there, it's inexcusable and they should lose their vote. Well, it's it's very interesting. I frankly expect it to be pretty competitive. That game will be at Alabama September 10th, and that is uh, in our ranking in the aforementioned Fantasy Football Draftology 2002, available on the main page at fantasydrafthelp.com. That is our number seven projected college game of the year. So that one uh, really could carry a lot of weight to it. I think Alabama is going to win that game, and that kind of takes us to our projections, which we'll get to later on. I don't expect Alabama to take an L, but I expect it to be a very competitive game, Fran, perhaps surprisingly so to a lot of people. In a year from now, so whenever it has, has to play well, then yeah. keep, keep the Manning kid legacy on the bench. But That's right. A team that can't keep out for a sleep team, Kansas State, because they get Adrian Martinez, the the Nebraska quarterback, the transfer. Some people think they might be a sleep team. I mean, he didn't impress me much with Nebraska, but I think that's Scott Frost and that bad offense. We'll we'll, we'll see if um, Adrian Martinez can can, can be a better quarterback in Kansas State. Yeah, no, uh, he didn't uh, impress me much, with all due respect to uh, Shania Twain, uh, when he was at uh, Nebraska. So, yeah, I, I don't know how. People think he's going to lift up another program here. But, uh, yeah, it's it's going to be interesting. I mean, the programs like Kansas State, I mean, they're going to be you 
know, fishing around for their bowl entries, you know, games will be played somewhere in the vicinity of like December 27th. I think that's where we can pencil a couple of these schools in as per usual. Uh, conference that they are thought to be potentially uh, merging with at some point or rating or whatever uh, as the college football landscape goes through its convulsions, the Pac-12. And uh, so you've got uh, a very interesting setup. And this is where it starts to get a little bit more fluid, perhaps, because you're talking about in the North Division, a Civil War game, which is going to amount to maybe a little more than usual when Oregon and Oregon State play each other. That uh, that could be very well for the North Division title. Uh, Oregon's got a big non-conference game early on. What we're projecting is the number two game of the college football season, Georgia versus Oregon in Atlanta. Why don't we just say Oregon at Georgia, right, if it's in Atlanta? But uh, I guess technically it's a neutral site game. But uh, you've got uh, Washington still looming in the North Division as a team that could maybe make some noise along with the two Oregon schools. The South is where it gets interesting because I'm projecting Utah to win the division, but uh, Lincoln Riley in year one, at USC, uh, bringing in a lot of the uh, short-termers here in the gates in L.A. So uh, USC, through better coaching and probably better recruiting, including the uh, transfer portal, could be taking a step up. You pointed out to me off-air, if you just look at the schedule, UCLA has a very good argument for being a team that could go through. Uh, I'm not sure about undefeated, because they do draw both Oregon and Washington this year, but a team that has at least a chance schedule-wise to go through the, much of the regular season with zero or one losses. So the South Division looks to be one of the most uh, interesting and intrigue-filled ones uh, in all of college football, Fran. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I mean, I mean, might be a sleeper team. I mean, UCLA may have a very season to I see year one, only because of the weak non-conference schedule. They could be a 10-win team, which Chip Kelly and 10-win teams, when's the last time they won 10 games in any league he's coached them? Yeah, it's uh, you got to think back on that, and uh, that is something that uh, conceivably could put them in one of the uh, the New Year's Six games. They they could you know work their way into that uh, rotation. And uh, hey, what if it was uh, you know Oregon or Utah that managed to make the uh, the college football playoff? You could look, be looking at UCLA with another home game in the Rose Bowl potentially. Stranger things have happened. Yeah, a lot of strange things have happened. Um, one thing I, I want to give props to are uh, um, Arizona State with Herm Edwards. Um, I mean, he's like a, he's like a, a commander of the ship. Do you like that coaching strategy? He just he's a, he just basically just just like runs like an army and, and they just execute. But he's he, they've done better than I expected. I give I'm, a, I'm surprised he hasn't been fired yet. But he's actually he actually gets some competitive and he gets some ball games. That's all you, they really want in Arizona State. And, uh, and to be Arizona, but Arizona is terrible. That's not super. Well, yeah, Arizona is uh, terrible. Uh, Colorado, likewise, in the South. But Arizona State, yeah, I mean, I do think it is something of a make-or-break kind of a season for Herb Edwards there as far as taking a step up. And I think a break is more likely than make. But it's one of those things where you, you put in a, a style and, and a system and everything like that, kind of like Georgia Tech, right? Like, we're going to do it our way. We're going to run our kind of offense. I mean, Herm Edwards made it clear when he took the job as somebody who had never been a college football coach previously, I'm going to come in. I'm going to do it my way. It's going to be different than a lot of other people. Say what you will about the man. He has been different. I don't know that it's always been for the better. But he has been different from everyone else. And, uh, yeah, it's time to start paying dividends because I'm not sure that another 
uh, bowl game, like I said, plus or minus on December 27th. I think that's going to be getting old at Arizona State right there. That is a program where they look at it, and they have a decent amount of institutional advantages, a decent amount of money. Uh, they're a program that should be competing for the South uh, most years, I would say. And Herm Edwards hasn't taken them to that level. Yeah, he hasn't. I mean, I mean, he, he hasn't. But I mean, eventually they're gonna have to win a little bit more because other coaches got they pull the plug on much quicker. Very much so, yeah. And that's uh, something where he better keep eyes in the back of his head if it's another uh, eight and four season or whatever. But uh, in the ACC, we will see if uh, the status quo ante resumes because it was gone last year. Clemson with a down year. Uh, it had been sort of, you know, Clemson and the uh, the 11 Dwarfs or however many other teams in the conference. But uh, they are, are, I guess it would be 13, I suppose, as I'm doing a quick scan of the uh, number of teams there. But uh, they... Uh, shockingly, last year, uh, again, uh, abdicated even the Atlantic Division uh, championship here. So you've got them. They're going to be dealing with uh, a resurgent North Carolina State program, Wake Forest, Florida State, uh, again, still scratching and clawing, trying to get their rebuild going on. Uh, in the Coastal Division, you have the defending champion of the league, Pittsburgh, but uh, they appear to be looking up, as a lot of people would think, uh, at Miami, I'm expecting to see the immediate benefits from Mario Cristobal being there. North Carolina, uh, disappointing as a year ago, but could loom as a potential contender. Uh, Virginia, if everything goes right for them. So it's an interesting situation here. I'm forecasting Clemson and Miami being in the ACC championship game. And that is a thing, Fran, where if it happens... That might actually be more of a competitive game and less of a foregone conclusion than we've been used to seeing from these two teams over the last decade. I think that would definitely be an exciting game. What's the thing about Miami and Cristobal getting ready to turn over the game? Because last year, when they were getting, losing on the sidelines, they were um, getting turnovers and they were celebrating. Smart would make it more, you know, beat, you know, it's, you know that's, it, it's kind of cool for a low division school, but not Miami. That's supposed to. In the 80s, 1-1-1, one, 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 baby 1. Yeah, you become a slave to the gimmick, basically. And it's just one of those things where uh, the celebrating... That's a program, too, where they've always... More than most programs, right? They've always wa walked a, a knife edge between showboating and actual uh, results on the field. And uh, I would think that the culture change that they would want to be looking for with that program here... Uh, is to at, at least, at minimum, first and foremost, establish themselves as big-time winners uh, before you can really get back to the showboating kind of stuff like the turnover chain. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Wake Forest is a team to keep an eye on, but their quarterback, that was an um, undisclosed injury. Um, so we'll have to see um, when he comes back. I mean, the guy was great for them last year. Martin, he, was, he was outstanding for Wake Forest last year. Um, and again, other aspects, I think... Um, yeah, I, I think that is definitely the case, and uh, I, I think avoiding that is uh, something that uh, you, you can definitely look for, uh, you know, going forward here. Uh, but uh, in terms of the uh, the overall uh, landscape for uh, the, the uh, New Year's Six Bowl games and the, uh, the national championship semifinals and final. Uh, my projections 
for the New Year's Six games. Uh, I'm looking at Orange Bowl, Notre Dame over Michigan State, Rose Bowl, Michigan over Utah, Sugar Bowl, Texas A&M over Oklahoma, and Cotton Bowl. Nobody will have to travel too far for this one, Baylor over Houston. Uh, I've got Ohio State over Georgia in the Fiesta Bowl, Alabama over Clemson in the Peach Bowl, Alabama over Ohio State in the national championship game. I know you might differ from me on a couple of these things, Frank. Yeah, and that's what it's going to be contingent on is getting the strong quarterback play uh, as they have previously. And uh, again, these are games that, uh, again, I think are going to draw monster numbers uh, if it uh, materializes here. Uh, Alabama over Clemson. Uh, in the national semifinals. I think we've seen this once before. That's been a game that's more so been in the championship game. Uh, but that would draw, uh, I think, a pretty big uh, number. The Ohio State and Georgia factors as well. So I don't know how many years we're looking left at the same system, uh, Fran. This might be one of the last years of the four-team playoff. But if it's these four teams, arguably the four most successful teams of this era with the uh, college football playoff, uh, it'll be in probably in one of the final years of this setting, kind of going off, going out with a bang. Yeah, and uh, they they've generally tried to avoid it a lot of years. I, the, the first year they put it on New Year's Eve, which I think was 2016, maybe, but whatever year it was, I just thought it was the stupidest thing because it was a deal where you just knew. Again, people love to go out on New Year's Eve. I mean, it's an easier thing now. I mean, if you're if people can watch it on their phones, that it's an option that you didn't have obviously in the 1950s or whatever. But uh, as far as making it something where People are going to stay home and watch the college football semifinals. That's just the thing where, you know, you just you, you can't compete with what America's already doing on New Year's Eve, all the different places they're going and everything like that. And that's where they've tried to avoid it as much as possible and go to that Saturday before New Year's. I mean, now, I mean one thing is probably with New Year's, more people, I mean, more people may, may, may be uh, able to watch the first game completely than the second game because the first game is going to be – well, yeah, exactly. And that's the thing where and if you if you guess wrong uh, on what the late game should be, there's going to be consequences to it. Because I remember, I think it was uh, Alabama and Michigan State. Uh, so maybe it was 2015. Maybe I'm thinking of that year when it was. And it was that was that was a disaster. That was just an absolute brutal disaster. I think it was like a 38 nothing game. Everybody tuned out by halftime. It was basically the ratings Hindenburg, and uh, that was the death knell. Probably one of the most influential games in college football TV history because that was the death knell of regularly scheduling the games for New Year's Eve, that it was only going to happen on certain occasions. Yeah, it's Well, yes, and we'll see how NIL continues to uh, influence in the years to come. We are 
very early in that story, the 2020s decade is going to see a very big shakeout thanks to NIL and some other factors. And uh, again, the next segment that uh, we do here in the FDH Lounge will be one looking at a little bit more of the big picture uh, developments in college football and the things that are happening to influence the future of college football. But uh, as far as it goes for the 2022 season, as I knew it would be, an amazing preview with you, Fran Stuckberry of Our Sports Central. Thank you so much for being here today, Fran. Thanks, Bert. Appreciate it. And thank you, everybody, for checking out FDH Lounge Mini, episode 1506.